invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and let's go to the Apocalypse, to the very last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapters 20, 21, and 22. That's three chapters. Now, don't be anxious. I'm not going to say everything that could be said about these three chapters. But there's much here for us, for our edification, for our consideration, and for those who do not know the Lord Jesus, for your salvation. Everyone in this worship center in this hour is going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell, no exceptions. There are only two eternal destinies, heaven and hell. Apparently most Americans think they're on their way to heaven. Though Jesus himself said, broad is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many there be that find it. Some time ago, the Los Angeles Times did a survey of Americans and asked them whether they thought they were going to heaven or hell. And for every one American who acknowledged that uh, he thought he was headed for hell, 120 Americans said, no, I'm headed for heaven. Now, there are some folks that are headed for hell and they're kind of happy about it. They think it's a big joke. They say things like, I'd rather be in hell with my good buddies having a good party down in hell than all, all those boring religious people in heaven. Well, my friends, hell is no joke and heaven is no myth. And I want us to think about it this morning. Heaven is no joke, excuse me, hell is no joke and heaven is no myth. This morning we want to think about the awful reality of hell and the glorious reality of heaven. So first let's think about the awful reality of hell. Hell is an awful place. It's a real place. And there are some in our modern world who would ridicule a preacher like myself who would warn people of the dangers of hell. But that's like ridiculing a physician who warns you about the dangers of cancer. You think about this. The most loving, tender-hearted, compassionate person who ever walked the, the face of the earth was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus had more to say about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus warned against hell. In Matthew, don't, write, don't look this up, but just you can note it and look it up later. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus described hell as darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 18, verse 8, Jesus described hell as eternal fire. In Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus described hell as eternal punishment. In Matthew 13, verse 42, Jesus said hell is a fiery furnace. In Luke chapter 16, verse 22, Jesus described someone in hell as being, quote, in torment, 
close quote. In Mark's gospel chapter nine, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus said it's better to limp into heaven with one foot than to strut into hell with two feet. Hell is an awful reality. It is an eternal reality. I think the average American Christian gives a little thought to the reality of hell. We just, we use that term in conversation. We have a fight song here at Auburn. Give them hell. Give them hell. What are we thinking when we say that? Do we really mean that? Do we really want our athletic opponents to spend eternity in the torment of fire? Before I die, I would like to hear thousands upon thousands of Auburn fans filling Jordan-Hare Stadium, and instead of cheering, give them hell, you war blank eagles, say, give them heaven, you sanctified eagles. (laughs) You cheerleaders can change that if you want to. I went to my first Auburn game when I was five, 68 years ago. My dad took me. I've been an Auburn fan ever since. I have programs. And in, in the program back in the, in the mid-50s, in, in the Auburn fight song, it, it didn't say, give them hell, give them hell. It said, hit them high, hit them low. But somewhere along the way, we backslid. And now we want to give them hell instead of hit them high or hit them low. We think hell is a joke. Hell is no joke. God help us to see the utter torment and punishment of those who are cast forever in the lake of fire. We're talking today about the awful reality of hell. With our Bibles open to Revelation chapter 20, I want you to see just, there's, there's so much we could say about hell from the New Testament. Just these two truths found in uh, the 20th chapter of, uh, of the book of the Revelation. The first one uh, in verses 7 through 10, here it is, hell is the eternal destiny of the devil and fallen angels. Hell is the eternal destiny of the devil and fallen angels. Let's pick up the context in verse 7. This is at the end of the millennium. Verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan was released from his prison. It's called the abyss in verse 1. And he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. 
and in number they are like the sand on the seashore. And they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. That's the city of Jerusalem that the choir sing about, the new heavenly city, the city of Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. When all these armies of the, of, of the adversary come against the city of Jerusalem, God sends his fire down to devour them. Now watch this in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them, he is the deceiver, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. That's the eternal destiny of the devil and the fallen angels. Hold your place here in Revelation 20 and quickly find Matthew 25, verse 41. Uh, just one verse in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus spoke about why there is a place called hell, why God made hell. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared, watch this, who did God prepare hell for? The devil and his fallen angels. Hell is not prepared for people. Now, people go to hell, but God prepared hell for the devil when the devil rebelled against God and a third of the holy angels joined him in that rebellion and he cast him from his presence. So hell is the eternal destiny of the devil and fallen angels. The devil is in hell. Or he will be after the millennium, I should say. Right now he's like a roaring, he's like a lion, roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. But, but that's where he's going to be cast. Second truth I want you to see as we think about the awful reality of hell found in verses 11 through 15 of chapter 20 is hell is the eternal destiny of everyone whose name is not written in the book of life. If your name is not recorded in the book of life, then you will spend your eternity in the place called hell. Verse 11, John the apostle says, and then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, that's God, and earth and fire fled, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, that, that, no discrimination here. Uh, uh, just because you're smart or rich or well connected doesn't mean you're going to get a pass. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books, plural, were opened. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now notice there is a book, the book of life. And then there are books. And in, the, in these books are all the deeds that you and I have ever done. Everything. And then there's the book of life. Now, uh, look in... Verse uh, 13, and the, and the sea gave up the dead that were in, them, were in it, and, the de and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And watch this, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Every deed, 
every careless word, every sinful thought and imagination of the human heart recorded in these books if you don't know Christ. If your sins have not been put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he shed on Calvary's cross for our eternal salvation. There's that day of judgment coming now. All of us who are in Christ, who have our names in the book of life, we will not be at the great white throne. But if you do not have a personal saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you never come to the place in your time on planet earth where you repent and believe, you will stand before God at the great white throne and the books will be open and your own life will indict you as guilty before our thrice holy God. Verse 14, and then death, that has to do with the body and Hades, that has to do with the soul, were thrown into the lake of fire. That's an interesting phrase, lake of fire. Some modernist theologians and preachers say this is not a literal lake of fire. This is a metaphorical way to describe a less than pleasant place to spend eternity. The great British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, and I quote, now, do not begin telling me that that is a metaphorical fire. Who cares for that? If a man were to threaten to give me a metaphorical blow on the head, I should care very little about it. He'd be welcome to give me as many as he pleased. <laughs> and what say the wicked? We do not care about metaphorical fires, but they are real, sir. Yes, as real as yourself. There is a real fire in hell as truly as we now have a real body, a fire exactly like that which we have on earth, except in everything except this, that it will not consume, though it will torture you. We have seen the asbestos lying in the fire red hot, and when you take it out, it is unconsumed. So your body will be prepared by God in such a way that it will burn forever without being consumed. It will lie, not as you consider in metaphorical fire, but in actual flame. Okay, so that's scientifically impossible. Well, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown in a fiery furnace. It was so hot that the people who threw them in were consumed by the fire. And they were just walking around as cool as cucumbers in the fire because they had God's grace on them. And there was a fourth man in the furnace with them and his name was Jesus. God can create a fire and put somebody in the fire so they're not, so they're not consumed. Who's going to be in the lake of fire? Verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're in the book of life, no fire for you. Just glory. If you're not in the book of life and you don't repent and believe, receive, 
the eternal judgment of God in the lake of fire. So, whose name is not in that book of life? Well, atheists, agnostics, and all who hate God, their name's not in the book of life, but it's probably more than a handful of those in this room today, if any. Who else is in the, whose name is not recorded in the book of life? I'll tell you who else is not found there. Self-righteous moralists who look down their self-righteous nose at other people. Unsaved church members don't have their name in the book of life. You depend on your membership at Lakeview Baptist Church to keep you out of the lake of fire, then you've put your trust in the wrong place. And then procrastinators. That's some of you. I know I need to trust Jesus. I know I need to be saved. I'm going to do it someday. I'm going to sow a few wild oats while I'm in college. And then when I graduate and, and get married and settle down and start raising kids, I'm going, to, I'm, going, I'm going to change. I'm going to trust Jesus and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in holiness. Just procrastinators. Good intentions never become reality. It is sobering to think about the awful eternal reality of hell that waits every man and every woman who refuses to bow the knee and confess with his or her lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if that's you, my prayer for you this day is that when this altar is opened up and we are invited to come to Christ, that you'll come running down this aisle to one of our pastors and say, I need to be saved today. But I want to just move on from the sad, difficult part, and let's look at the sweet part. Heaven. We've been singing about heaven today. <laughs> Just focusing on Jesus coming back today. So number two, think with me about the glorious reality of heaven. Heaven is no myth. Heaven is a real place prepared for redeemed people, redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are four truths I want you to see with me in chapters 21 and 22. So we think about the glorious reality of heaven. The first one found in chapter 21, verses 1, 2, and 3. In heaven, we will experience perfect fellowship with God. I can hardly wait. Perfect fellowship with my Savior. Look in verse 1. John said in this vision given to him on the Isle of Patmos, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. You see, the heaven that exists now where those who die in the Lord are away from the body but present with the Lord, that's an intermediate heaven. There, there, there's a, a new heaven coming, a new earth. I'm going to preach on this on Sunday night, uh, October 10, we get that, that far in Second Peter. 
Some of you got a mistaken idea. You, you get your theology of heaven by reading the, the, the Sunday comics and, and you see these little clouds and people floating around on clouds humming, strumming harps and, and you think it's an eternal siesta. No, no, no. There's the new heaven and the new earth. Verse two, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That's going to happen at the end of the, after the millennium when Jesus comes and prepared as a beautiful bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse three, and then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the, this is the sweet part. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Unbroken fellowship with God. Now, we don't have time today in the middle part of this chapter to talk about the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and all these uh, wonderful uh, stone, uh, jewels and, and gemstones. But know this. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Look, I believe those streets of gold are literal streets of gold. I have no reason to believe it otherwise. Why shouldn't they be? But when I come home from a trip, I don't hug the sofa and kiss the lamp. It's Kim I want to see. She's the one that makes home home for me. And Jesus is the one that makes heaven for the redeemed sons and daughters of God when we cross Jordan's stormy banks and enter into that promised land. It matters not to me if there are no streets of gold or gates of pearl. There will be, but it matters not to me as long as Jesus is there. He's what makes heaven, heaven, and I long to see him. Do you long to see Jesus? If Jesus walked on this platform today and said, I'm, I'm taking as many folks with me today that wants to go, would you go? I tell you, I would go in a New York minute. I'm weary of this world. I want to see my Savior, and I will see him someday. Either at death he'll call me home or I'll pray when the trumpet of God sounds and I'll go in the rapture. And there we will experience perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. Here's the second truth in verses four through seven. In heaven we will no longer suffer the effects of sin. All of us suffer the effects of sin. Thank Adam for that. Adam, not Adam Trader. I'm sorry. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> the original Adam. With original sin that we all inherited. Yeah. And, but we ourselves are guilty. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In heaven, we will no longer suffer the effects of sin. Now we live in a broken, fallen, sin-cursed world and sickness and sorrow and death abound and we trace it all back to that first act of disobedience in the Garden of Eden. But we have some great news here in verse four. Look in verse four. And he, 
the Lord God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Let it pass. Let it pass. Let it pass. Sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night, have trouble falling back asleep. I think about heaven. I think about what's not found in heaven. No funeral homes in heaven. No cemeteries, no morticians, no gravestones, no need for it. There's no death. No doctors in heaven, no nurses, no hospitals, no CAT scans, no chemo, no radiation. Praise the Lord, because there's no more sickness in heaven. No policemen or policewomen, no sheriffs or deputies, no law enforcement. There's no crime in heaven. No army, navy, air force, or marines, but there's no war in heaven. Verse 4, for the old order, last part of verse 4, for the old order of things has passed away. This old order world has passed away when the eternal heaven is in place. In verse 5, and he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. We need everything to be made new because everything we have now is broken. And then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. You can take this to the bank. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the A to Z, Alpha to Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the first word in human history, and Jesus has the last word in human history. And he says here, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, are you thirsty? To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Are you thirsty to know God? Then come drink. And he, you're not going to be charged for it. Look at it again. Verse 6, I will give to drink without cost. Now, it costs Jesus his lifeblood. It doesn't cost us anything. So many people have a mistaken idea that we're saved by our good works, what we do. No, it's by grace, through faith, in Christ, that a guilty sinner is reconciled to God. Salvation is not spelled D-O-do, but D-O-N-E, Done. Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. The price has been paid in full. And the only thing left is for us to repent of our sins and believe in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for our eternal redemption. Look again in verse 7. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit We'll inherit this. It's a gift we inherit. We don't pay for it. Our sin is so great, we could never earn enough to pay for it. 
And then the last part of verse 7, I will be his God and he will be my son. Are you a child of God? Are you? Have you been born of the spirit of God? Does the supernatural life giving presence of the spirit of God, has, is that your experience? Have you been quickened and made alive in Christ Jesus? The only people in heaven are the sons and daughters of God and there's no more suffering the effects of sin. It's gone. Let me give you a third truth about the, the glorious reality of heaven. Chapter 21, verses 8 and 27. In heaven we will be separated from evildoers forever. In heaven we will be separated from evildoers forever. No fear. In heaven because there's no one to fear. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's a rogues gallery right there. And those types of people will not be found in heaven unless they come to Christ. And John says, this is the second death for them, the second death to be cast into the lake of fire. Heaven is a perfect place. Look in chapter uh, 21, verse 27. And nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. <laughs> Nothing impure. I've known for decades that in heaven there's no sickness or sorrow or pain or death. But it was only a few years ago that it just really was riveted home in my spirit that the best part of heaven is no sin and no capacity to sin. There was in our community a family from another country. While they were not members of our church, they had some connection with us because, you know, we have a lot of ministry to internationals here. And this family had an eight-year-old daughter who drowned in a swimming pool. And I was asked to officiate at the funeral. And it was, a, it was at a time uh, in my ministry when they were, I was facing some really tough issues. I honestly don't remember what those issues are. Those things come and go, every pastor knows that. But there was, a, at this particular season, there was an abundance of them. I didn't think I could do this service it was scheduled for a Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. Early Saturday morning, I went to my prayer closet and closed the door. And I said, God, I can't go on. I can't do this funeral. I can't do this work. I've got to have a fresh encounter with you. And I'm not going to leave this room 
until you meet with me afresh. And for hour after hour after hour, I wrestled with God and cried out to God and God met me in my need. And the thing he showed me in that prayer closet that day is I was thinking about this funeral I was gonna to have to conduct. There, there's no sin in heaven. And not even the ability to sin in heaven. It was such a wonderful encounter with God. I, I'm sure I'd probably thought it and said it and preached on it, but it never resonated in my heart like it did that day. Heaven is a sinless place forever. And where there's no sin, there is unbroken fellowship with our God. Nothing to hinder us in our worship of him. I must hasten on. Let me give you a fourth truth and then I'm done. As we think about the glorious reality of heaven. In heaven, this is chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. In heaven we will serve our God and reign with him forever. Some think heaven is a dull, boring place. No. Look in chapter 22, verse 1 and following. Now the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, that's Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on either side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. So you have fresh fruit, not just in, you know, summertime, but fall and winter and spring. 12 months out of the year, you have fresh fruit. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And here it is right here, verse three. No longer will there be any curse. No longer any curse. For the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city. And, here, and watch this, the last part of verse three. And his servants, that's the redeemed ones. His servants will serve him there. We will serve him. And then verse 4, Gene sang about this. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. We will see him, our Savior. Verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord will give them light and they will reign with him forever and ever in our glorified resurrection bodies likened to the glorified resurrection body of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was 20 or 30, that didn't mean a lot to me. I thought about it in a rather theoretical term. But now, living with pain, that's a great promise. Be pain-free someday. Some of you older people, you live with pain too. Some of you younger people live with pain. 
We have special needs children in our church. Some of them have been special needs children for decades. We love our superstars. God's not finished with them yet. We're going to be made whole someday. When we see, John said, 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, we will be like him. Many of you know of Johnny Erickson Tata. Is a, I think she was 16 or so when she had a swimming accident, was paralyzed from the neck down, and now 50 years or more on, still serving the Lord. She said, I, can, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shrivel, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, uh, no feeling from the shoulders down. Will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me or someone who is cerebral palsy, brain injured, who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. And someday our hope will become reality when we see him face to face. A man dreamed that he stood outside the gates of heaven and he saw people trying to get inside. One man knocked at the gate and a voice from within answered, who seeks entrance into heaven? And the man said, I'm a humanitarian. And the voice said, what is the password? And the humanitarian said, the password is charity. And the voice within the gate said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Another knocked. Who seeks entrance into heaven? The man knocking said, I'm a moral man. And the voice asked, what is the password? And he replied, it is honesty. And the voice within the gate said, depart from me. You who work iniquity. Another knock. And the voice within the gate said, who seeks interest into heaven? And this time the voice outside said, I'm a religious man. And the voice inside asked, what is the password? And the man outside said, the password is ritual. And the voice within the heavenly gate said, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. At last, a man stepped into the gate and he knocked. And the voice within said, who seeks entrance into heaven and what is the password? And the man outside simply said, in my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross, I cling. And the voice within said, open wide the gate and let him in for such. It's the kingdom of heaven. I told you about 50 minutes ago 
that everybody in this room is either on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. And I'm persuaded that most of us in this room are on our way to heaven, not because of anything we have done, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross when he stretched out his arms on that cross and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And there came a time in our lives for me as a 10-year-old boy and I saw myself as a lost, guilty sinner in need of a Savior. And I, I came to Jesus and was gloriously saved. And I believe that's true of most of us in this room. But I'm also persuaded in an assembly of this many people, there are some here today who've never yet said yes to Jesus. But I have some good news. You can be saved today. God is no respecter of persons. The promise of Holy Scripture is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call, he'll save you. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm in the elect. If you'll call, he'll save you. If you'll call, he'll save you. I promise you. You can be saved today. Eternity hangs in the balance. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing together our song of surrender and commitment and faith. I'll be a pastor, the head of each one of these aisles, to pray for you, to answer your questions, to point you to Christ, to help you know Christ as your Savior. If you want Jesus, you can have him. Come to Jesus. Someday the door will close. It'll be too late eternally. But right now that door's still open. Jesus stands and knocks. He says, man, here's my voice and opens the door. He promises, I will come in. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Do it now. Don't delay. We stand and sing. Come while we sing. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.